arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. California that have pseudonyms for the cities in the crud books? The answer is yes, and I promise to reveal some of them, or even all of them, at the end of this podcast. Sam's trip to Morgan City yields a wealth of information, some of which he doesn't fully understand. And I should bring up Mr. Harbinger. Harbinger is a pivotal character in all the books, and a way for Sam to circumvent the Colonel. Let's begin episode two of Sam Crud. The Santa Ana Winds by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 3, Part 2. Muck told me on the phone that he did not see anyone kick Buster, but Buster was on the loose and had used the smaller flip door from the outside. In the garage, I secured the bubble top on the vet because of the wind, which stabilized the car all the way up the 405 freeway. Woody and I veered off the 405 to the end of the 105 freeway. We didn't go as far as the beach, but turned on to East Bolton Ave. Finnegan's looked like a gray metal aircraft hangar from World War II. The building was across from an elevated light rail. This is bullshit, I shouted after the silent ride up the 405. I suspected Stola was a fraud. I should have pushed her about her identity. If she hurt my dog, then I turned to Woody. Well, hey, I'm just letting you vent, man. I think Stoller needed to ID Compton, which means that she knew him or somebody. Maybe this Elaine let her see a picture. What the hell was Al Compton involved in? Stoller was a con artist. Takes one to know one, Woody. Not a pro, but she's still convincing. And a babe. Exactly. And why was Al Compton in Rio Martos when he lived way up in Morgan City? And his body turns up on Oceano Beach. I ought to just drop this, but something keeps gnawing at me about Stoller or whoever she is. I hate liars, Woody, because they don't have the guts to tell the truth. You don't even have a client now, Sam. I know that, Woody, I know. Lots of aircraft companies up here, said Woody, looking out the window as I parked the vet diagonal to the building. Why would Stoller place Al Compton in Finnegan's or the Munson? 
I say she got nervous and just blurted out the information, said Woody. She's already established herself as a class number one liar. I checked Beatrice, my forty-four Magnum, in the glove compartment, and Woody's eyes opened wide. My other gun, Honeysuckle, a thirty-eight Smith & Wesson, was in my dresser drawer back home. You expecting trouble, Sam? Could be a setup, Woody. We better be prepared to turn on a dime. The bar in Finnegan's filled the left side of the hangar with a corrugated roof arched downward. A few dozen men were seated to the left. We sat in front of a long mirror with hanging colored light globes that gave the area a nighttime look. I ordered a beer and Woody ordered something called an orange blossom. What the hell is an orange blossom, Woody? Want one? No, I never heard of it. Gin and orange juice, answered Woody. Well, go right ahead, Woody. Get yourself plastered. When have you ever seen me plastered, Sam? <laughs> Which time? Woody laughed as the bartender brought the beer and the orange blossom. Here comes the turkey shoot. Woody pinched the tip of his long nose and took a gulp. <sighs> like lighter fluid. Should I do a flaming shot? Forget it, I said as I began looking around the working class clientele. Al Compton would fit right in here. He wasn't working legit and he was in Rio Martos. If Stola was telling the truth, she must have been nervous when she let that info slip out. Under the table cash, said Woody, holding his nose again and taking in more of the concoction. I wonder why Stola told us about this at all. Sometimes I think you like trouble, Sam. I turned toward my long-necked friend. You're right. I thought so. I gazed across the darkened bar to the muscle-bound men in soiled work clothes sitting at the perimeter tables. Then I hit Woody's forearm. Let's go talk to the guys. Okay. Woody's eyes were glossy. Wow, I drank that too quick. Whoa, man. Get over it later, Woody. I said, transporting my beer across the room. Woody extricated himself from the stool and walked with a dumb grin as if he were on a treadmill. Isn't an orange blossom a lady's drink? If that's a lady's drink, I'm Marilyn Monroe. That's before your time, partner. We sat along the arched wall. I love Marilyn, said Woody, affected by the drink. I tilted my head back as we sat. That's just wonderful, Woody. We were being scrutinized by at least 50 hard-working guys, mostly already lit up worse than Woody. Yellow hard hats were stacked on the expansion ledge of the metal. I knew I'd have to approach them if I was going to find out anything about Al Compton, a possible frequent visitor to the bar. I figured the bartender was just keeping outsiders from asking nosy questions. I motioned toward the guys at the table and Woody nodded his head. The man in the center with gargantuan shoulders and a tattered denim top looked up at me. He took a drag on his cigarette and blew the smoke toward Woody and me. Strangely, he was clean-shaven and had a curly Howard crew cut. He wore tinted black rimmed glasses, maybe sunglasses. What the fuck do you want, baby doo? Looking for Al Compton. Oh, you are, are you? He said, finishing what was left of the butt. Who said you could be in here anyways, partner? He asked. I was 6'2", and this monster towered over me and outweighed me with no clear sign of a gut. He had one tattoo on his forearm that I hope didn't say death. He produced a shortened metal pipe from under the table. I'm asking you a question. I'm only looking for Compton. 
Your misfortune. The little coward Woody had snuck out of Finnegan's like a jack-in-the-box when they all stood up. You heard, Cheeks, said the shaven-headed midget next to Cheeks. The phone rang at the bar, and the little bartender screamed. Cops coming! Cheeks seemed a little confused. Then he tipped over the table and smacked the pipe against his open hand as he rushed me. I yanked out Beatrice and assumed a firing stance. Cheeks' eyes danced around his head for a few seconds as he staggered backward. The guy with the ponytail started to pull out a gun, and I fired over his head, blowing a huge hole in the outside of the metal. Most of them jumped onto the floor. I fanned my gun as I hustled for the back door. To my right, Woody had swung the bed near the dumpster. I shot once at the back door, rattling the steel frame as Woody backed up. I leaped through the open door. Woody screeched out of the parking lot and into a donut shop drive-up window. I could see angry men outside the bar, guns all raised and looking around for us or a speeding away car. We were set up by Stoller to come up here and get killed, yelled Woody behind the wheel. Glad I decided to give you spare keys, Woodrow, I said with a little excitement in my voice. I thought you'd ditch me. Hell no. I didn't think they'd have guns, said Woody as we reached the freeway ramp. And they didn't know I had Beatrice. Having guns is a requirement of being able to drink at Finnegan's. I knew that crowd was rough. I tried to gauge the smile on Woody's face, otherwise known as Woody's shit-eating grin, and he sped up the ramp with his number-changing phone to his ear. Hey, Woody said to the bartender in a slurred voice that sounded as if he could be one of Cheeks' boys. I'm telling you, cops are on the way. What did he say? They're all leaving, Sam. I leaned back and laughed real hard in the bucket seat. Maybe because I almost left the planet Earth back at Finnegan's. I need a real drink. Get one at the Munson. They must have a bar. Jackie Jumbo strikes again. Woody brought the vet onto a bumpy, darkened road with aged buildings, not more than a few stories high. The asphalt patch varied in height and sometimes wasn't patched at all. I appreciated Woody driving the vet gingerly around the holes. A streetlight across from the four-story brown stuccoed Munson illuminated the sidewalk and the front entrance. Woody backed up in front of an abandoned building behind the streetlight. He flipped the alarm and we both stepped outside. A garbage stench filled the air, yet I didn't see any rubbish bags or dumpsters. The Munson had a skim cone of brown paint and a darker trim. Some of the windows were covered by plywood sheets. Many of the rooms were dark, and others were dimly lit by unshaded incandescent bulbs. A muscular, power-packed dog with no collar emerged from a narrow alley and growled at me, and he gave me the teeth. Woody opened the dented, somewhat painted, rusted door. A mustiness and another unknown putrid odor overtook my nasal cavity. All of a sudden, Al Compton's profile was looking sleazier than I thought. No wonder Marty is taking his time about sending somebody up here. I hear you, Woody. A light in the alcove to the left, lined with an old maroon sofa, lit the empty front desk to the right. This place run by robots? asked Woody. I banged the bell that really wasn't a bell, but was more like a metallic pucker. After an initial silence, I heard a ruckus up the first half flight of stairs. A fat, bald guy in a red-striped tank top that read Daddy overlooked us from the landing. What do you want? He bellowed down like a town crier. You in charge here? What do you want? He repeated, making a sour face. 
I took one step toward the little fat man. Al Compton. What about him? I wasn't going to show him my license unless he pressed it. Did you live here? No, pal. He stayed here. Why? I'm trying to find him, Daddy. I lied. He smiled for the first time. My girlfriend calls me, Daddy. I'm Perez. I'm Sam Crud. Al worked unloading at one of those terminal trucks. There's four or five terminals around the area. All near the freeway. I want to say Richmond Express, but I ain't sure. Anybody in here with Al? Oh, yeah. Tall, thin, curly-haired guy and a short, tubby guy with receding hair. In a white SUV with a black driver named Naki. He had Asian eyes and talked in the front room on the couch and chairs to Compton about a week ago. The tall guy, the bushy-haired guy, was bullshit at Compton. Compton had rifled the company safe. What company? I asked. He shook his head. Where? Rockwell Ave is all I know. The bushy-haired guy told me to cross the line by getting into the safe. Something about hiding the master plan. I let the argument run, and then Naki popped in and said it would take 50 minutes to get to the meeting they were having. He had a booming voice. He didn't say where Rockwell Ave was. Yeah, it could be anywhere, said Woody. Anything else on those men? Tall guy had really black eyes. The other guy had kind of a gut. Naki was high-strung. Thanks, I said, stepping up and handing my number on a piece of paper. Perez smiled. He had a space between his front teeth. You're a P.I. You think so? I asked. I know so. If I hear anything about Al, I'll call you. Thanks. I was not going to give Perez my card. That would be like advertising for my own execution. We started toward the front door when Perez spoke again. The chauffeur, the black man, he kept filing his nails as he waited for the SUV. I like little habits, Perez. Little habits solve crimes. Chapter 4 Down the 405 freeway with me driving and the vet being rocked by winds, I placed a Hail Mary call at the Stoller cell, which kept ringing while Woody blabbed with Pops O'Malley, who ran a hot dog hamburger truck parked next to the surf shop. Woody, tone oh, it down! I yelled as I passed a slow 18-wheeler. Woody laughed and leaned his head back. Oh, I, I saw those girls three days ago, you dog pop. Woody ended his call, still laughing. Oh, oh love that pops. I just stared at him because the call to Stoller never went past voicemail. Just kept ringing. We crossed under the green and white-lettered highway sign for Signal Hill. Not good. Right, you saw Cheeks and his boys. Compton was a tough dude. I thought he was just some kind of drifter. One of them knows Stoller or knows somebody who talked to Stoller about us, Woody. Why was she even involved? asked Woody. I don't know. Call the weasel and have him use his contacts on a background report for Al Compton and his wife and Stoller's sister. Got it. Where was Compton killed, Sam? You're full of questions, Woody. Could have something to do with that Barry, or not. Woody, I'm overlooking the fact that somebody may have abducted, stole her. I'm just assuming that she split. My phone rang. Dad was calling me from Arizona. What are you up to, Sam? Murder. What happened? Guy slashed somewhere. 
and his corpse was brought down to a skiff at the marina. Worked in Rio Martos, unloading trucks at Richmond Express. Yeah, I know Richmond. If he was unloading Richmond trucks, it'd be pretty easy to track down because by talking to the guys on the docks. Can you do that bad? Hey, crud. I'm a truck driver, not at your beck and call. Bad. Just meet us at the med. We'll be at our table. The guy's name was Al Compton. We'll talk. Maybe, he said, ending the call, but I knew he'd be there with Lucy and the rest of us. Was Compton just a schmuck unloading trucks, or had he found something he shouldn't, or overheard something else? I needed to link whoever was paying for whatever Compton was unloading. Figure that one out. The Mediterranean Lounge opened six years ago after Maury Desmond, on vacation with his sister in Oceano Beach, had enough with winters back east. He sold his hidden garden restaurant in Brunswick, Ohio, and designed and built a new restaurant in Oceano Beach. Maury, at the half-century mark of his life, made an extraordinary amount of money with the lounge and the backdoor bar. We had a wide alcove in the corner overlooking the boats and the Oceano Beach lights. Woody, never the trendsetter in fashion, sat in a raised captain's chair in his blue Hawaiian shirt. Maury hovered at the end of the table, talking with the meds manager, Kyle Sanders, a former computer software engineer in the San Fernando Valley. Maury had a sharp mustache and dyed brown hair, perfectly coiffed, as if he was awakened for a trim from his barber every morning. The barber probably pulled a perfect press suit out of a rotating closet. I liked the way Maury carefully listened to what people had to say, which is why he gave them what they wanted. I was preoccupied. I hadn't heard from Stoller and didn't expect to. Hey, said Woody, sipping what I thought was another orange blossom. Where's Lucy? She'll be along, Woody, I said. I turned as Bad entered the med in his red silk shirt. Bad had the thickest box sideburns, mustache, and thick, styled black hair. Oh, His Majesty is here, said Woody, lifting his drink. Hey, don't bother to stand, said Bad, laughing as he raised his arms. Don't worry, Catfish, we ain't gonna stand, yelled Woody. Evening, Murray, said Bad. Byron. Where have you been, Bad? asked Chrissy, the perky waitress from Huntington Beach. Hey, that heavy beer from Roswell Canyon? Roswell Canyon, you dummy Bad, said Woody. Roswell's where the aliens landed. I knew that said Bad as he sat next to Woody and sniffed the orange blossom. Gonna burn out that gut of yours, Woody. Cure for the common cold, answered Woody. Why do you call him catfish, Woody? asked Chrissy. You don't want to go there, said Bad. Bad looked like a well-built movie star who was driving a truck and waiting for his big break, or perhaps a singing part in a rock and roll band. The evening festivities got shaken up when Marty, his tie loose and his dark hair slightly matted, entered the restaurant from the Holly Street entrance. Two of his guys followed him past the glowing fish tank and remained in the upper bar as Marty approached the table. He stared at me and shook his head. I need to talk to you, he said in his Sergeant Martin voice. Woody looked away and sipped the orange blossom through a long straw. The shot-haired Kyle opened his eyes wide as he stood and I slid my way out. Marty quickly ushered me to one of the side support poles. His dark eyes were close to my face. What the hell went on up in Rio Marto, Sam? He whispered loudly. I give you a lead and all hell breaks loose. What do you mean? 
My guys were attacked by thugs at Finnegan's. Those clowns were yelling about retribution against the big blonde-haired guy. I wonder who that was. They attacked Woody, too. Oh, well, thanks for the heads up, Sam. Come on, Marty, I had no idea your guys would be up there. They're in a hospital up there because you and Woody walk in and piss off the whole bar room. My guys never made it to the Munson. If you just calm down, Marty, I'll tell you what happened at the Munson. I don't like it when my guys get hurt, Sam. The manager, Perez, he knew Al Compton. He observed Al Compton. Marty took out his notebook. Compton met with two guys who arrived in a white SUV that was driven by a black Asian guy named Naki. The tall, bushy-haired guy really got into it with Al Compton. The stockier guy listened. Then Naki, the SUV driver, tells them they need to be at a meeting and it's 52 minutes driving time. That's very good, Sam. Marty ran his hand down his face. Look, I've had a long day. Sorry I flipped out. I'll send someone up to the Munson to do a sketch with Perez and two of those guys, and the Naki guy. I'll catch up with you later, Sam. I promised Betty I'd come home a half an hour ago. Ciao. Marty continuously mumbled as he headed with his guys for the doors. I watched Marty and his men leave, and then I backtracked to the alcove. The weasel, who sauntered across the med as if he were on a dance floor, headed for my table. The weasel had a ski nose that swept upward to beady brown eyes and the strangest wandering eyebrows I had ever seen on man or beast. His two front teeth jutted out like Bugs Bunny, but he had the voice of someone narrating a horror story. His clothes crossed between a long red jungle coat and faded jeans that rode up his calves. Hello, cried. Didn't expect to see you tonight, Icky. Oh, you never know where I'm going to turn up. I ran a quick check on the three requested individuals. Compton's done time at Escobedo. I heard. Bad place. What exactly was he in for? I asked, steering the weasel behind the huge, luminescent, bubbling fish aquarium center restaurant. Which time? <laughs> asked the weasel, always covering his lips when he produced his inhaled throat scraping laugh. I watched the fish navigate into the underground castle within the tank's water bubbles. Lay it on me, Icky. Armed robbery. Thirteen years ago in Morgan City. A guard was shot, but they couldn't pin it on Compton. That was good for nine big ones. Word is, he was a trigger man. Stoller didn't tell me that. No, no, no. There is no Megan Stoller, Sammy. She's a fraud. I turned from the tank and grabbed his shoulders. He felt like a cardboard cutout. Whoever she was, was at the hotel and is currently somewhere. I can't find the other one, the sister, without more information. Damn liar. Sounds like you were studying the merchandise instead of her identity. <laughs> Keep your comments to yourself, Icky. I resumed watching the fish, even though I thought Icky was right. That's exactly what I was doing. I had allowed the vivacious Stoller to enchant me. What else did Al Compton do? A few breaking and entries in Riverside. Got off twice, and one more stay at Escobedo for transportation. Stolen goods. I would wager he met a lot of people in Escobedo. The weasel squinted because he knew he had my attention. 
What was he transporting? I asked as he leaned against the tank. Chips for computers the first time hidden in walnuts. That's crazy. He nodded several times. <laughs> Sammy, the guys he fingered were shot dead in Cerritos two years ago. <laughs> Some say by the real instigators of the operation. And they're unknown. Correct. And the second transport, I asked. Watches. Real expensive watches. Cops never found them. They used delivery vans from Valdez, Mexico, putting them watches inside mayonnaise jars. In plastic, of course. Vans were owned by a man named Tompkins. He doesn't exist either. Maybe he's with Megan Stoller, <laughs> said the weasel, grinding out another annoying laugh. So you've got a modus operandi. Hidden goods in stolen weird containers. And people who don't even exist. Alright, cut the vodka. What about Naki? I'm working on it. Why would Stoller or whoever she is hire me? Martin asked her that according to Roger Pizinski. He's one of Marty's guys. Right. Martin originally pushed Stoller to you in order to protect her. Well, I blew that one, didn't I? Icky raised his wispy brows and produced a puckering smile. I removed a hundred dollars from my wallet. You call me about Naki. Where does the wife live? Icky smiled as if he had been awaiting that question. His voice notched up an octave. Morgan City, according to the records. But people on the streets say she's been dead for two years. How do you know that? Grave is in Morgan City. Someone high up doctored the death certificate. That's unsubstantiated. Who said that? High Rivers. Then it is unsubstantiated. High will say what you want for money. She has no record. Right. Didn't work. No kids. For the record, High Rivers is a liar, I said. We can all stretch the truth. I'll consider this alleged information. Is she from Morgan City originally? Lakewood. You want more info from Lakewood? I can get school yearbooks online. No, that's irrelevant. Nothing is irrelevant, Sammy, except birth and death, said the weasel, tucking the 100 in one of his numerous coat pockets. I'll call you if I have something else. Nighty nighty, he said, twirling his fingers. I shook my head once and motioned Woody over. Holding his tall drink, aqua straw sticking up, he bounded over to the fish tank. What's up? The sister may be dead and nothing on Stoller. Sam, the woman is gone. You have no client. This is extremely risky. Just drop the case. I'm beginning to think you're right, Woody. I pulled out myself. I'll get this information to Marty in the morning. Something wouldn't allow me to drop the case. Woody, order me another beer. I'm calling Muck. Why? Because I want a nice cold beer. No, why are you calling Muck? I need a list of outside phone calls from the hotel today and maybe from the dock house. Woody chuckled. <laughs> That's a damn crapshoot. Sometimes crapshoots pay off. Now get me a beer, please. Yes, sir.
said Woody, saluting, and I laughed. This is Mark Densmore, maintenance superintendent for the Parisia Oceanico Hotel, Oceanico Beach, California. Leave me a message and I'll get right back to you. Mark, I need readouts for all the calls leaving and reaching the hotel yesterday and today. Anywhere on the property, including the apartment. Let me know how Buster's feeling. I'm at the med and you're in bed. Woody had the cold stein of beer in my hands before I reached the table. I found myself wedged between Kyle Sanders and Bad. Kyle, I need you to trace a phone number. Yeah, it cost you, Sam. I threw him a quixotic stare and then pulled out my cell. Alright, just this once. I again found the cell number of the elusive woman pretending to be Megan Stoller. Kyle wrote the number on a napkin when I displayed it on the phone screen. This should prove interesting. I can go back to the office now. I nodded my head and handed him $200. What's that for? I swung my finger around the table. The tab. Mighty nice of you, Sam, said Kyle. I pointed my index finger. Get me that number. You got it, said Kyle as he stood and walked briskly to his office. Bad, I need you on the docks at Richmond Express. Bad elbowed me. I can try and get on the docks at Richmond Express, but they're killing people already and one of us gets caught. You chickening out? Wait a minute, Sam. If Stoller isn't Compton's sister, who the hell are you working for? That's a good question, Bad. Good question. I have those concerns myself. Maybe you should just let Marty handle it, said Bad. You can pull it off, Bad, I said. Ah, oh, jeez, man, sometimes you really piss me off. I smiled and that got bad mumbling. He mumbled when he was mad. Kyle's picture icon formed on my phone as it started ringing. Kyle, what have you got? Queenie, she's on TV at the beach. Sam, Lucy just washed up near the pier. Next slash. My stomach tanked and I pushed my beer away. This is Maura McGonagall at the pier at Oceanico Beach. The blonde hair ruffled in the wind as she took a deep breath. Her eyes were glassy. She knew Lucy well and would have to keep her composure. Forty-five minutes ago, a couple walking on the beach noticed the body of a woman in the tidal waters. KZ-75 News has learned that that woman was slashed to death at the neck. Name is being withheld until notification of kin. Woody, outside to the vet. With the waves crashing offshore, Queenie's matted blonde hair rested against my shirt on the far side of the pier. The winds had subsided now. Slowly she peered up as her people waited by the news van in the parking lot. I gazed into her moist green eyes and wished I had never sent Lucy over to the doghouse. What did Lucy ever do to anyone? She was the life of the party, Sam. Always. She made people laugh. She never hurt anyone. I know, I said, sliced, just like Al Compton. That's execution style. Let me know what you hear. Two men lifted the body bag into the medical examiner's van. I turned away to the pier. My eyes filled and she hugged me. You have to find out who killed Lucy, Sam. I don't know what to think, Queenie. I said as I faced her. Bastards. Then I hugged her. I'll call you. You'll find answers, Sam Crud. I know you will. Queenie started back across the sand and soon she was inside the news van. I pictured Lucy at the dockhouse. 
Stoller must have reported her to someone and mentioned Lucy, which made this case even more littered with high-powered people. I kicked the sand. Damn these people. As the van left, I was stunned when Marty's blue Toyota looped around the corner and slid up to the curb. He had on Bermuda shorts and wore an untucked shirt. Several detectives had arrived from downtown. I had avoided them because I didn't want to listen to Bender tell me I shouldn't be here. I leaned against the concrete wall for 15 minutes as they escorted Marty along the pier. I could hear clearly that they had blood samples. I caught Marty's eye as I stared with my arms crossed. A few minutes later, he gallivanted across the beach sand. How did you find out about this, Sam? TV. Did you talk to Lucy after she left Stoller or whoever she was? I shook my head. Somebody was clued into that arrangement, Marty. They didn't want to take the chance that Lucy had heard something. I got suckered. I thought Compton was Stoller's brother. Marty lit a cigarette and the blue smoke blended into the parking lot lights. Stoller was down here to make sure that Compton was dead. Then she and the other woman split. I should have known that when she didn't appear to be upset that Al Compton had just been slashed to death. No, she wasn't upset in the least. Marty yawned. I swear to God, Sam, I'm never going to get any sleep. He inhaled one more time and chucked the cigarette into the sand. Listen, Perez, the Munson manager, agreed to work with our artist. I'll be in Rio Martos tomorrow morning. What about the trucking company, Richmond Express? Hey, I don't have a whole lot of undercover guys. Then bad is going up there for me. Risky, risky. He'll find out about Al Just make sure he's subtle, okay? Bad, subtle, that's a good one. Anything abnormal about Lucy's death? Marty shook his head. Happened damn quick, I'll tell you that. No signs of struggle or moving of the body. Someone must have been down here and got her from behind. Like Al Compton. That's not good. This operation is Penny Annie. I liked her, I said to Marty. He nodded and slapped my shoulder. Call me if you hear anything. Wait. Come on, Sam, said Marty, but he kept walking. Do you have access to the Dark House phone records? Marty turned around. My friend, that requires a court order, he said into the night air as he neared his Toyota. Then he turned again. Why? I'm getting the hotel phone records for the last two days. Stola was in both places. Maybe she used the house phones to call somebody rather than her cell phone, which just keeps ringing, I might add. Phone records is a long shot, said Marty as he got in the driver's seat and started the car. Come on, Marty. I'll see what I can do, he said as he proceeded up the road. As the sound of Marty's car faded, I stared at the breakers, still illuminated by the parking lot lights. I didn't even feel like going back to the loft, but I needed sleep as much as Marty. Whether Marty and the artists would find the guys who yelled at Al Compton at the Munson was debatable. As I shuffled back to the vet, I suddenly settled into the fact with Al Compton and now Lucy's death that the big boys were involved. A strange quiescence spread over the harbor. This was more than murder and the moving of Al Compton's body. Fakers were trying to trick me. Ancillary phonies and innocent people such as Lucy were being taken out because some big time operation had been threatened. Chapter five. I don't know how, but I slept deeply and woke on my own accord. Only six hours had passed 
since I dragged myself back to my apartment from Lucy's murder scene on the beach. The first thing I did was shower. In the morning, I don't know how I overlooked three sheets of paper stapled together and shoved under the door. Buster hadn't even barked. I heated a Danish in the microwave, brewed some coffee, and sat down at the table in my kitchenette. I ran my fingers over Buster's ribs. He flinched a bit, but seemed to be getting better. They say dogs never forget who hurt them. Three pages of phone records from the last two days at the hotel were crammed onto those sheets. I recognized the colonel's cell phone number as well as Mrs. Colonel. A ton of local numbers were interspersed across the three pages. The rest were out-of-town numbers that made no damn sense to me. I bit into the Danish and it melted with the hot coffee. What I needed was the doghouse numbers. The apartment phone had only been used once. I texted Muck, crud S. I like numbers, thanks. A few seconds later, he texted back, the Muck. Compliments of John Aloysius Crocker, LOL. I smiled and checked my voicemail. Queenie wanted me to call her about Lucy's murder. Strangely, Marty was already on the 405 heading for Rio Martos. He let me know that Bender had approved his getting a court order for the Dock House phone records. Apparently, he hadn't mentioned my name. I finished the Danish, grabbed my windbreaker from the closet, and stepped into the corridor down from Uncle Muck and Aunt Cookie's apartment. To the left, near the open window at the end of the hall, was the room where Stoller had briefly stayed yesterday. No one had dusted for prints, which would have been a great idea. That was on my list of things to reiterate to Marty as I waited for his call, which came 30 seconds later, as I headed down the stairs to my vent in the garage. I paused, knowing I had no client, but I owed it to Lucy to find the truth. My cell phone rang. Marty spoke without saying hello. You got my message about the court order? Yeah. Oh, you're welcome, said Marty as I grinned and got inside the vet. I'm not even going to tell the colonel. I wouldn't. He'll have troops from Pendleton at the front door of the Parisimo. When this bag go to the Richmond Express, Sam? Tomorrow. Tread softly. Ciao. I hit the garage opener and entered the daily windstorm. The sun was higher than yesterday when I awoke. I winced when I saw the colonel in his finest hotel uniform waving at me from the balcony. Then he raced down the stairs as I pulled from the garage. No avoiding this bullshit. I swung over to the towering deck base and opened my window. I thought for sure he had found out about Muck stealing the phone numbers. The sheets were now on the passenger's side bucket seat. I grabbed the three pages and stuffed them under my own seat. I popped the clutch and stirred up the dust all around as I raced onto the surround road. I kept the window open and rounded the hotel's south side. I took Morrison Street, a narrow residential stretch that paralleled the main road, just in case anyone was following me. Not that I'm paranoid generally, but I sure as hell was paranoid now. I parked in front of Woody's place on Surf Drive and ran along the surfboards, leaning against the windows. Woody was at the register, ringing up two young things who were renting boards. He saw me and pointed to his office behind the counter. Woody told the girls to have the boards back at four and asked if they needed help in getting them to the beach. I rounded the counter and they said they could handle the boards. And judging by their thong bikinis, they probably could find someone to carry those boards without a problem, which was probably their plan anyway. Everyone's talking about Lucy, said Woody. Sounds like mob a pretty professional. 
or made to look professional, found it hard to shake my distracted demeanor. It was as if I was losing my motivation on this case. I got it back when I saw Lucy's body bag loaded into the wagon last night. Stoller must have told her handlers about Lucy being there at the doghouse. Stoller fooled me, I told Woody. Me too, Sam. Hollywood actress. Woody, you may have a point. She was so damn good. Maybe that's why they must have used her to make sure Compton was dead. There must be footage on the security cameras at the hotel. I took out my phone and called Mr. Harbinger's private number. Placing a call to the owner of the Parisio Oceanico was not something I did on a regular basis. This was about the fictitious Megan Stoller. Harbinger had a formality that was cool, but a genuineness to his friends that was reassuring. The phone call seemed far away. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? Mr. Harbinger, I was just taking in the Santa Anas. What can I do for you? We have an actress who is, well, let's say, involved with illegalities. Murder? Asked Harbinger with a hint of excitement in his voice. I know he loved living vicariously through my adventures. She's in the thick of it, masquerading as the sister of the deceased. Crafty. And talented, I said, as well as a looker. Of course. Hold on one second. His voice turned around from the phone. Andre, tell Devin I'm, I'm not driving to Paris. That's ridiculous. We'll meet in town. 6 p.m. Sorry, Sam. Send me a photo. We'll circulate it around and find out who she is. And let me know how you make out. I will. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Spectacular move, Sam, said Woody. I pushed in Queenie's number. It took a while, but she finally answered. I could hear the wind. Hi, Sam. Get any sleep, Queenie? Nah, tossed and turned and finally got up and watched movies. I want to give you the background on this. You can't dump the whole thing right away. Agreed. Meet me at the pier in a half an hour. I'm on the pier, doofus. This wind is driving me crazy. I laugh loudly. Okay, okay. Give me 15 minutes, I'll meet you at Sizzler's. Get me that egg and sausage with the spices. And coffee sweet. Thank you, darling. I said in a whimsical voice. This thing is becoming very, very risky, said Woody. Woody, I'm a private investigator. My whole life is risky. Say hi to Queenie. Woody made some strange move with his arms. Oh, yeah. I grinned and decided to park the vet along Woody's side alley out of the wind and sandblast. Then I backtracked through the series of orange and yellow umbrellas shimmied with the wind 30 yards down the breakers. The pier sat within the hazy sun as the waves slowly broke toward shore. I made my way between bikini-clad women on long towels and couples taking in the sun. My hair whipped around as I walked through the area of the beach where they had dragged Lucy out of the water less than 12 hours ago. Queenie wore a light-colored baseball cap and waved at me from the table outside of Sizzler's on the pier. I climbed back on the asphalt and veered up the incline to the pier. I noticed Queenie had my late breakfast on the table. Her blonde hair, as usual, was tossed around the cap. She had a fabulous smile. Most TV reporters had their teeth adjusted or whitened. Hers were real, as was everything else about her. Then came that smooth voice from Clearwater, Florida. Sammy! 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 Queenie! Queenie! Queenie, thanks for getting my snack. 
Someday I'll even it up, she said, squinting nefariously. And then she got serious. So, what's the scoop? As Queenie began writing in her notebook, I proceeded to tell her about Al Compton's murder. Stoller and the phony sister and all the nonsense up at Rio Martos. I bit into the egg and sausage. That tastes damn good, let me tell you. And they put in just enough cheese. We need to know what Al Compton was unloading in Rio Martos. Bad is going up there to a company called Richmond Express. Well, what about Bender? Boom Boom? I asked as she laughed. As far as I know, he's leaving it all up to Marty. Let me know when I can do a report. You know I'll get the whole thing to you, Queenie, I said, pinching her cheek lightly. Watch it, Sam, or we'll end up in Capistrano again. My head still aches. I smiled with the next round of egg and sausage on my fork. Let's see. Ah, Capistrano, the wrong way on the Santa Ana Freeway. Yeah, and then 12 hours later, we're wondering what happened. Nothing happened, she said emphatically. I know, I know. With a subtle smile, her eyes became soft and relaxed. It isn't like you planned it, Sam. I'm not that clever, Queenie, I said, and then ate the food. Plus, we were so drunk. You said you weren't the marrying kind, especially with your job, said Queenie. No, you said that, I said, smiling. We both had whopper headaches, but we did say we'd go back, said Queenie in a sultry voice. We did say that, didn't we? She kissed my forehead. Yep. I formed what Muck called the crud smile. Aunt Cookie had it, too. Very simple, you flash the teeth, freeze for three seconds, and then wink, which is what I proceeded to do. Shorty, a man with an old-style western mustache, walked into the Parisio Oceanico's lobby at high noon. As the tourist browsed the galleries, Shorty and I sat in front of the empty fireplace. How's Buster? asked Shorty. Getting better, I shook my head. Shorty knew what I was thinking. Nobody kicks my dog without ramifications, which I envisioned not as using Beatrice, but of a bloody nose. How am I supposed to get that surveillance tape, Sam? You're not. Look, Shorty, all I need is a picture of this pseudo-Megan Stoller and the other woman. I didn't go into detail about Stoller's real identity. You send the pictures or a picture of them to my phone. I can do that. You mean just play the disc back when she came into the hotel? Exactly. I'll make sure the colonel is delayed, Shorty. I won't let you down, Sam. Right, I said, tapping his shoulder and half believing him. Marion waved me over to the front desk. Good afternoon, Marion, I said in a sing-song way. Sam, where's the colonel? Be back in a half an hour. Shorty needed to get the surveillance video before the colonel returned. Shorty, remember what I told you? Shorty saluted and headed downstairs. I was shocked to hear about Lucy Lawton, Sam. Not good. You on that case? I paused. Don't worry, I won't tell the colonel. He could stand to mind his own business. I pressed my lips. I liked her a lot. Yeah, I'm looking into it. Good luck. Thanks, Marion. I was still not sure Shorty would have enough time to go through the surveillance video. Bye, Sam. I waved at William down the lobby. When I reached the front steps, I held up my hand to the wind. Then I took out my cell phone and immediately called Woody. The line kept ringing, which drove me crazy. Come on, Woody. Sam. I cupped my hand from the wind. Woody, remember the Colonel's buddy, Captain Switzer? Oh yeah, from the VFW, John Wayne Jr. 
Yeah, yeah, that's him. The VFW is in Garden Grove. Get the Colonel over there. Hello, Colonel, said Woody. Perfect. Tell him you need him to come over to the post because they're giving him an award for his years of service. Well, it will be done, partner. Call me. I ended the call. Getting the Colonel to Garden Grove would tie him up for a few hours. Muck, his tool belt around his waist, marched up with one of his guys up the wide circular road in front of the hotel. Muck, thanks for the present under my door this morning. Yeah, well, we aim to please. You sound like you're using the men's room. Muck had a wide smile. I got a call from Sergeant Martin. They dusted the other apartment where Stoller and the other lady stayed. I didn't know that. We'll see who she is, I said. And I want to know who kicked my dog. Maybe she's clean, said Muck. She's clean, but guilty. Let me know if anyone we don't know is hanging around here. Sam, this is a hotel. Most everybody we don't know. You know what I mean, Muck. I do. Cookie wants to know if you want dinner in the dining hall. Sure, Muck. What time? Six. I'll be there. Unless you get called away, said Muck as he started walking. I grinned. Muck knew me too well. I jogged down to the vet, the bubble top still in place. My phone buzzed for an incoming message. Kyle had set an attachment as I crawled inside out of the wind. Good man, things are clicking now. I needed to match up the dock house numbers with the hotel scan that materialized on my screen. There were only six numbers. I texted Kyle back to thank him, which prompted him to tell me, Kay Sanders, you owe me. I thought I paid in advance, I said out loud and spun the vet around. Five minutes later, I was in front of Woody's store. My phone buzzed again just as I stepped with the phone readouts onto the sidewalk. Shorty B. Got several. I texted back, crud S. Send the damn thing, Shorty. What a dummy. Hey, what did I say? Asked Woody, leaning in the door. Nothing. Hey, when I called, the colonel wanted to get into a long conversation about serving in the Middle East. What did you say? I asked. I told him to follow orders and get his ass over to the post. I'll have to remember that one, <laughs> I said laughing. My phone buzzed and the first picture of Stoller materialized like an image coming in from Mars. She wore her green sundress and white sandals. Her slim body and fluffy hair gave her the appearance of a model on the runway. Hey, looker said Woody. Remember that, Woody. Never let a looker break your concentration. Yeah, like that's gonna happen. Let's go inside. Three more photos of Stoller on the surveillance video. One of them getting into a green and white taxi number 162 appeared on my phone. Woody cross-checked the numbers with Kyle's file I had sent him. On the next picture, the second woman, short and stocky with peppered curly hair, was near the lobby's payphone. Maybe she, not Stoller, was running this operation. Ah, the prison guard, said Woody. Lady is hardened. Looks like she has done time. The last photo showed the cab door opening exactly two minutes before the two women entered the cab. I sent all the photos to Oren Harbinger in France. The technology astounded me. Crud, S, greatly appreciate, thanks. You want to hear what I got? asked Woody. I don't need to hear about your STDs, Woodrow. Yeah, right. You have five phone numbers at different times on both sheets, Sam. From two different phones, they connect with this Riverside number. With his pencil, Woody pointed to the 951 area code. 
951 area code goes south and a little west too, Woody. I inputted the number as well as the usage into my phone, and then I sent it to Marty. Less than a minute later, Marty called my phone. That's very good, Sam. I'm slightly impressed. What do you mean, slightly, I asked. I'll be fully impressed if we ever get info out of this. I'll have someone check the owners and the residences. You want pictures of Ms. Megan Phoney and the other lady? Marty perked up. You're kidding. I'll get them to you, Marty, old pal. By the way, Sam, Rick is almost done sketching Paris' description of the guys who talked to Compton. And this chauffeur. Mackie. Right, right. I'll trade you the pictures. They'll arrive by carrier pigeon. Ciao. I faced Woody. Perez at the Munson is cooperating with the artist. Where's the weasel? asked Woody. Don't hold your breath on the weasel, I said. As Woody spoke, the alarm in the vet wailed like an air raid siren. I pulled my gun and ran into Woody's showroom. A kid, maybe in his late teens in a tank top and fluffy blonde hair, ran diagonally away from the vet. Hey, stop! I shouted like a drill sergeant. The kid turned and began firing at Woody's shop. We leaped back inside and onto the floor. They're tailing me! Why a kid? Pay some kid a hundred and he'll do what he needs to do. I heard cop car sirens. Glad I didn't return the fire. These people really want you out of the way, Boogalo said Woody as we stood. Two red and white cruisers slid diagonally across the street near the vet and took up positions behind the front fender. Too bad, Sam. They're just doing their jobs, Woody. No, Bender! The lieutenant's light beige sedan was parked at the end of Surfside. See? Boom, boom. I said as Bender in a short-sleeved white shirt and red tie ran with two officers up the sidewalk with his gun pointed upward. I can see what kind of a day this is going to be. What the hell are you doing, cried. That kid is long gone, Bender, I said. Why are you firing your weapon, he yelled. I handed him Beatrice safely on with no clip. Bender sniffed as if he were sampling a culinary dish. He handed the weapon back to me. Lieutenant, there's a device under the Corvette. Cried. Oh, it's my fault? Somebody's trying to kill me? Bender lifted his cell and was soon in contact with the station. Then he shouted to his men. Store by store, everyone down to the beach, clear the area around the car. Why are you here, Bender? I asked. And don't tell me investigative excellence. Not now, cried, said Bender as he headed down the stores back toward town. Patrons and store owners were now on the sidewalk, moving at an increasing faster rate toward the beach. To my left, they headed back toward town. A couple of officers herded Woody and me down toward the beach as the bomb squad vehicles rounded Front Street. None of this bothered me. Even losing the vet didn't bother me. The fact that someone had the balls to kill Compton and Lucy and had now targeted me was crazy. My phone rang. Sam, are you alright? Bender just called me. They want me off this, obviously. After a silence, Marty spoke. Then maybe you should back off. I'm not backing off. Look, I can't send you the artwork. We have people looking at the mugshots as well as Stoller and the other woman. At least let me look at it. Sam, take a vacation for a while. These people sound rough. Real rough. Marty. 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 Your choice, buddy. A bomb under your car isn't enough. I don't know what the hell is. Then instead of running away, how about finding these bastards? I'll talk to you later. I pushed the button for Queenie. I was touched by Marty's concern, but I meant what I said. I was just calling you, Sam. Are you alright? 
I am. They're pulling the vice off my car on Surf Street as we speak. Some kid, blonde hair and a red tank top, ran away as Woody and I came out of Woody's store. He shot at least six rounds at us. Nobody's hurt. Bender and his guys appeared and evacuated the stores and some to the beach and others back to town. Great summation, Sam. Thank you. I'll be there in a few minutes. Queenie, you need to put me on the air. Public exposure will diminish the threat on me. Absolutely. I hope. Chapter 6. Marty had a revelation. Phone number called by Stoller was now disconnected and listed to a trailer somewhere in Chandler. No ownership of the trailer was listed. The number itself was owned by a man named Norman Sears, Unit 634 Speed Lane in Morgan City. Marty's computer guys told him there was evidence of a call forwarding system with the Empire Phone Company to a Morgan City barroom called Constantine's. Sam, said Marty as we waited for our order at Mr. Mojo's hot dog stand at the pier. The winds had subsided. There's no damn reason for you to even be on this case now. By the way, we talked to the cab company. The driver stated that a woman matching Stola's description and the older woman were brought to the bus terminal in Santa Ana. Then the trail gets cold. That woman is full of it, Marty. She's in sandals instead of stilettos in the picture. Casual shoes for travel. Look, we all know that Stola's a fraud. I need to get over there, Marty. She must have bought a ticket. Don't waste your time. I sent Joe and Phil over there with pictures. She would have stood out if she had bought a bus ticket, Sam. I think they were just dropped off there, probably picked up. And you're not working for anybody, Sam. By the way, the sister. No record of her in Reseda. Lucy would be alive now if I hadn't sent her to watch Stoller. I learned a long time ago you can't second guess something like that. It's not easy. Hold on, Sam, said Marty as his phone rang. Yeah, Joe. Whoa. Okay, Joe, thanks. He ended the call and looked up. The officer from Bellflower, Moffat, just called. Stola gave an address, yes, but the couple at that address never heard of her or a description. Like you said, Marty, she was just here to ID Al Compton. Marty loosened his tie a little more. I looked squarely into his bloodshot, dark eyes. I've been a private investigator for six years, Marty. You'd think maybe I should have double-checked the identity of this woman and the sister. Never underestimate anyone. Marty rubbed his mouth. It happens. Bellflower thing was just enough to divert us. Mojo, real name Mitio, had a thin mustache that disappeared when he smiled. He served two dogs to me and a dog to Marty on red, white, and blue plastic plates. Marty grabbed the plates. Thanks, Mojo, said Marty. Mojo handed two sodas to me and I followed Marty to a side table overlooking the waterfront in the hills to the south. Ketchup, Sam? Yeah. Marty returned with the mustard relish and ketchup for me. He squirted the ketchup on my dogs and laid the mustard relish on his single dog. Before he said anything else, he sunk his teeth into the steamed frankfurter. My God, that's heaven. Don't get carried away, Marty. Listen, Sam, I'm serious about you getting out of town while we track these people down. That kid almost blew up the vet. Again, I saved the hot dog. And nobody can find the kid. No. Nope. Marty! Called Mojo, holding up a red and white container of french fries. Fries! Marty spun off the seat and quickly transported the container over to the table. I grabbed a handful and dropped the fries on my napkin. 
I'll head for Morgan City. Marty paused with the rest of the dog near his mouth. Morgan City? Oh, that's real safe, Sam. Who the hell knows what went on there with Compton's wife? And Compton himself when he wasn't in jail. So why don't you send your guys up there? I asked, knowing Marty would explode. Are you kidding me? I already have two officers in the hospital in Rio Maros. No, thank you. We'll figure this out without going up to Morgan City. I smiled at Marty over my soda cup as I bit the straw. Don't you smile at me, Sam. You go up to Morgan City, you're on your own. Go have a drink at Constantine's. As Marty chewed the dog, I stared at him. What if I find out something we don't know? Send me a postcard, answered Marty, grabbing a fistful of fries. What about the artist's sketches, I asked. Marty pressed his lips and took out his phone. He had an app and scrolled down. Then he held up the phone. First man with a thin face and dark brows did indeed have bushy black hair. His deep eyes were crunched by his overhanging lids. He had a wispy mustache and a cleft chin. Ah, Mr. Big. Maybe. Someone browbeat Compton at the Munson. We figured two weeks ago. Marty flipped to the next picture. A black man with a shaved head sketched in a leather coat. He had an intense look in his dark almond eyes. The roly-poly guy in the third picture was drawn with an open striped shirt, sport coat and short hair, thin brows and beady eyes. His gut rounded over his slacks. Can't send this to you, Sam. I don't need it, Marty. Thanks. The question is, what are these stooges doing that requires taking people out and hiring people to pretend to be somebody else? I wish I had answers. We're checking the mug shots. We can't find anything. He finished the dog and gulped the soda. Then he returned to the fries. Obviously, they're transporting something. Probably contraband, stolen goods. Then what? Get cash, trade for other stuff? I don't know yet. Near Riverside, I said. Yeah. Why? Just because of a turnaround phone? That's silly. No, it isn't. Just because they turned around a few calls to Morgan City doesn't mean they were using the phones for something else. Who owned the trailer? We're working on it. I wondered if the trailer, being portable, had been moved from somewhere else just to set up the phone line. Maybe the phone's connected with some other line somewhere else. Just like Al Compton's body being transported to the marina, perhaps the trailer had found a new home. More fries! Called Mojo from the window. Sam? Yeah, I can do it. When Marty left his phone on the table, I instantly snapped photos of the three sketches as I scrolled down one by one. I also found a mugshot marked Al Compton. I jammed my phone in my pocket as Marty grabbed the second round of fries. Marty wasn't stupid. Leaving the phone on the table was his way of getting around any retribution from Bender if the pictures got out. I swear, Sam, you need to cut down on your calories. I don't see you abstaining, Marty, I said as Marty pinched the fry between his fingers. I could carry it. Marty chewed the fry. That's because you're so wound up. Good fries. Queenie called to tell me my TV interview looked good for broadcast and would be on the 6 o'clock news hour. I invited her to dinner at the Oceanico's main dining hall. I didn't mention I was thinking of getting out of town up to Morgan City. I met with Muck and Cookie after I arrived at the loft. I quickly transferred the photos into Muck's phone. Buster was playing with his toys like his old self but I kept staring at the dead Al Compton in the photograph on the screen. 
a balding guy, around 50 with sharp dark eyes and deep smile lines. And what do these guys do? asked Cookie, wearing her house coat after a long day of supervising the housekeeping staff. She held a smoldering cigarette and worked the crossword puzzle. Muck wore his blue and gold Rams jersey as he emerged from the bath. You have Rams tickets, Mucklestein? I asked. <laughs> Not unless you want to take a flight to Dallas. He lit a cigarette. I turned to Cookie. These guys shouted down Al Compton at the Hotel Munson. I showed Al Compton's mugshot to Muck and Cookie. He looks hardened, said Cookie. Because he is, I responded. Muck looked over Cookie's shoulders. Who is a driver? Guy named Naki. I said, throwing Buster's bone, and he raced across the room. I need to know if these clowns show up here at the hotel. After what happened to you or car this afternoon, Sam, that's a good idea. What's another word for hate-filled? Nasty, said Muck. What the hell was Compton doing for these people? Asked Muck. If I was going to get nasty, Muck Densmore, I wouldn't be hate-filled. Muck raised his brows at Cookie with a quick smile. Something with unloading contraband in Rio Martos, Muck. What time's your interview on, Sam? Asked Cookie. Sometime during the six o'clock news. Ha, <laughs> the colonel will have a meltdown, you know that, said Muck. No comment. Let the boy have his tricks of the trade, Muck. Ten-letter word for ringleader. I don't know where you get your schemes, Sam, said Muck. Colonel doesn't like bad publicity. Well, let the colonel flip out, I said, if he ever gets back. Well, where did he go? Asked Cookie, looking over her glasses. Seems as though the colonel had to go up to Garden Grove, I said. I don't want to know, said Muck, as Cookie laughed and raised her pencil. Mastermind, Cookie. He's an arrogant son of a bitch, she said. That may have been wonderful in the army, but it doesn't hold water here. Hey, that word works, Muck. Listen, I'm going up north for a few days. Pleasure or work, asked Cookie. Not that it's any of my business. Compton and his wife used to live up there. Be careful, Sam. Take your gun. I'll take Beatrice and Honeysuckle. I went into hyperdrive and quickly knotted my tie. Muck threw the bone for Buster. Where? asked Muck. Morgan City. I've told Queenie about this too. She's agreed to hold back on her reports until I give the go-ahead. You guys used to date around a year ago, said Cookie. Four-letter word for being taken with. Love, said Cookie, smiling. Like, said Muck, pressing his lips. I'll let you guys figure it out, I said, checking my tie. Perfect. She seems like a nice girl. She is, I said. My feelings for Queenie were a friendship, and I liked her. But there was something brewing north of like. I turned to Muck and Cookie as I approached the door. Ciao. Queenie and I dug into a single chunk of strawberry cheesecake just as my interview aired by the bar. We both scurried over to the bar monitor. The platinum-haired Tammy, a waitress at the hotel for ten years, brought the dish over to the bar. Thanks, Tammy, I said, and I dipped into the strawberries. Enjoy, she said as the bartender set water glasses down on the wood bar. On screen, Queenie's blonde hair flooded in the wind as she held up the microphone with the huge Z-75 on the stem. I came into view, wearing my white hotel baseball cap. Mr. Sam Crud, an explosive device was placed under your car this afternoon. That's correct. How are you doing? Fine. I want to thank Lieutenant Bender and his people for acting quickly and professionally to remove that device from my car. That demonstrates his support of investigative excellence. 
Oh, what a kiss ass, said Queenie, holding my wrist. Who do you think was responsible for this? Someone who doesn't like me. Queenie tapped my wrist and I grinned. Did you see anyone near the car? Yes, but I will defer to Lieutenant Bender for release of that information in this case. Do you think this potential deadly attack has anything to do with the case you're currently working on? Time will tell. Queenie leaned toward me. You ought to go into politics, crud. Thought about it, but I passed the intelligence test. Queenie threw her head back and laughed. I can't argue with that. On the screen, Queenie thrust the microphone at me. Mr. Crud, you're a private investigator and part-time security at the Parisio Oceanico Hotel. Do you plan to conduct an investigation of this attempted bombing? I smiled on the TV screen. I think Lieutenant Bender and his people are quite capable of getting to the heart of the matter. Mr. Crud, thank you so much and good luck. Queenie, her hand still on my wrist, raised her brows. You are so slick. And as an interviewer, you're a pain in the ass. Thank you. You're very relaxed for a guy who almost got blown up in his car. The way I look at it, Queenie, I'm still here. A couple of drinks later, I slid my phone with Al Compton's black and white mugshot over to Queenie. Al Compton is exactly what I thought he'd look like. Top weathered, always trying to outcon the world. Exactly. My cell phone rang. When I let it ring, Queenie insisted I take the call because it might pertain to the Compton case. Right. Uh, my name is Eddie Runnels. I work for several studios. I'm calling on behalf of uh, Orrin Harbinger. Yes, Mr. Runnels. Thanks for calling. Not at all. Call me Eddie. I've been circulating the photographs of the two individuals you sent to Mr. Harbinger. Thank you. I believe they're pulling off a con and masquerading as other people, I said. They use names? Megan Stoller and her sister Elaine. Which one is the uh, looker? Stoller. Were people uh, hurt because of this con? Asked Runnels. Yes, sir. A friend of mine was murdered. Oh, sorry. Do they have anything to do with the studios and motion pictures? I told Orrin I'd find out. Just give me a few days. And I know you want me to call you Sam. That's right, Eddie. Thank you. I'll get back to you. Thank you, I said as I caught sight of Queenie and her inquisitive expression. What? Who's Eddie? We're running down the fake Megan Stoller and the fake sister. I'm going through the studios. You have studio connections? Just one source. And you want to know what I have in this case. She twiddled her fingers. Tell me if you want to. Oh, damn. A reporter with integrity, I said. She held my hand for a second. Let's just forget the case for a while. Okay. You're from Florida, I said. What brought you to Oceanico Beach? Oh, God, that's a long story. I'm all ears. Brad, you came out here with Brad. Yes. I leaned closer. And where, oh, where is dear Bradley? Who knows? Gone. We were together for a long time. It just got so messed up. Florida, hot in the summer, hurricanes... Even with these winds, it's still very nice out here, said Queenie. And, Ms. McGonagall, you once told me that you did journalism school and communications out here. Rensselaer School of Journalism and Communications at SoCal. Then, to Z75. A couple of local city online stations. She leaned toward me. When we were at Capistrano, I formed a dumb smile. We were tanked. Her eyes sparkled. For a few minutes when I woke up, I didn't know if we, uh... We didn't. 
But you were a gentleman and very apologetic. It was strange. Twas. Her smile bordered on sexual. Neither one of us had truly booked a return engagement, but I know we were both thinking about it. I also knew there were no regrets about Capistrano because nothing happened. What about you, Sam? You just kept mumbling about being a professional investigator. I said that? I asked. You don't remember? She asked with incredulity, and then she smiled. You remember. I do. You went to some investigative school in Northridge. Well, first I went to school, college, Cal State Long Beach, liberal arts. I met an old PI at a bar in Long Beach. I don't remember. That was later. I was working with Byron, doing local deliveries in our two trucks. Bad was in school with me at Long Beach. I thought you just knew him from the med. Nope. Bad. Why bad? Byron's All Destinations was the name he took after he bought me out of Two Guys Trucking. After that, I went through the course at Private Private Eyes. Got my license, and Bad is making a fortune. What about the Oceanico? Well, I did a huge favor for somebody, if you want to know the truth. Who? I pointed at her. This is not for publication, Queenie. You can trust me. Yeah, that's where I usually get into trouble, convincing myself, especially with a few drinks, that everything that comes out of a woman's mouth is gospel. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes. And Orrin Harbinger, the director? I had a security gig for an actress. Party turned into an orgy and underage girls showed up. I got Harbinger and myself out of there and we raced my vet down Mulholland to the Ventura Freeway. Sixteen people from that party are still in jail. Harbinger owes you big time. I was in the right place at the right time to save his ass. Her green eyes ignited. Wow, does the colonel know? Hell no. She slowly nodded. That's choice. Knowing Harbinger must get you out of sticky situations with the colonel. The colonel is all right, just a little uptight, and he still thinks he's in the service. I lifted my coffee mug. Now let me ask you, where do you go in the Compton case? Technically, you don't have a client. Lucy is dead, that's enough for me. Agreed. And they kicked my dog. Buster? Oh no, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Listen, Queenie, I'll be out of town for a few days. Because of the bomb? Al Compton appeared to look up at us on the phone screen. Not the bomb threat. I'm tracking down a lead. She leaned forward, balancing her elbows on the table. Smiling, she blinked her eyelashes. I laughed. I'll be in Morgan City. Keep that under your microphone. With Megan Stoller and his sister having slipped out of the hotel, Sam has info about Al Compton having lived in Morgan City. And after the bomb scare, he takes the long way around in the high desert to Morgan City. This is Robert P. Fitton, and I used to own a vet like Sam Crud's, and I'd like to be behind the wheel of it right now, heading north up into the high desert. Ciao! All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com. P.S. Rio Matos is El Segundo and Morgan City is Bakersfield.